Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu, and I'm really happy to introduce our guest today, Dr. Robert Scranton. He's he's um, a practitioner based out of Utah, and today's talk is going to be talking all about the economic value of certainty, debt common misconceptions about retirement accounts, whole life insurance. He delved into uh, infinite banking and all these wonderful financial topics that are not always talked about. So Robert, welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, tell people about your story, your background, and we'll get started. Yes, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. So I kind of an interesting journey through. I uh, went to college and got toward the end of uh, undergraduate, didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I was in the business college because I figured uh, it was easier to get in in high school uh, into the business college at the University of Illinois than try to get into it after I got there, uh, not being certain how to compete grade-wise and so forth. So I was already in the business college and I had to pick a major. And my dad said, well, why don't you uh, get an accounting degree? The you know world always is We'll always need bean counters, and so <laughs> I got my degree in accounting and finance, and went to work for the, you know, the Florsheim Shoe Company as a financial analyst. Uh, did uh, public accounting uh, as well, filing tax returns, doing um, audits, and so forth as well. And then I had a chiropractic experience that uh, led me to go back to chiropractic school and uh, become a chiropractor. So, yeah, that's kind of my 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 brief story. Yeah, and it's quite interesting. And then you and me, we were talking backstage about our financial journeys. And um, what was interesting is, um, you know, a lot of these concepts that came naturally to you, you were surprised that the medical, a lot of med- your colleagues didn't know. And basically, they were earning high incomes, but it was going all out the door. Um, tell us that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, just back up a little bit. Um, I kind of kind of started file, following the kind of conventional financial advice that I think the majority of Americans are because that's what their colleagues are doing, that's what their parents are doing, that's what their grandparents are doing. And around 2008 or 2009, I was just like, you know, this kind of isn't working for me. These 401ks and IRAs, they just cratered and my accounts dropped significantly. And it was right around the time that my parents uh, and their friends were retiring. And there was kind of this unspoken thing. It seemed like everybody believed that, well, if you could just save a million dollars in those accounts, you'd have enough to retire on, you know, the rest of your life. But, you, you know, as my parents were right in the worst time frame, uh, and their friends retiring right around that time, and they saw their, you know, portfolios dropping by 40, 45%, right as they were leaving the workforce. And, all my parents' friends were going back to work at Lowe's and Home Depot, you know, on weekends as, you know, fill in help and so forth. I'm like, oh man, that's what everybody's doing. And 
that seemed like kind of a disaster. And so I'd started learning about this thing called the uh, infinite banking concept. And when I first heard about that, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, how come I never heard about this before? Which made me even more curious and kind of suspicious, I guess, in a way, uh, because I could not poke any holes in it. And, uh, you know, when I realized uh, what was really going on, I I talked to my my financial planner that helped me lose half my money. And I, I told him, I said, hey, I got this really awesome idea. I've been reading about something called the infinite banking concept. And he was just adamant. I mean, almost like I had just, uh, you know, uh, introduced him to the devil. And I'm just like, his reaction even kind of was really shocking enough to me because I couldn't find any holes in it. I was kind of frustrated because I thought, well, gee, with my background, you know, having an accounting and finance degree, working in public accounting, filing tax returns, uh, doing audits at company, working as a financial analyst, I felt like, man, with my background of anybody, I should have known about this stuff and I didn't know about it. And the reaction of my financial uh, planner, I thought, hmm, he worked for, at the time, I think of Salomon Smith Barney and their parent company was City, uh, City Group or City Bank. And so a friend of mine turned me on to this thing called a BOLI. It's a website and it stands for bank owned life insurance, where you can literally look up any bank in the country and find out how much life insurance uh, that that company owns. So he was telling me how bad this was and how awful an idea uh, it was. And then I went and looked up uh, Citibank on Boley, that website, Bank Owned Life Insurance, and found out that 35% of all of Citibank's entire holdings, more than their stocks and more than all their real estate, um, they owned in whole life insurance contracts. And I thought, well, this is really weird. They're training their agents to tell me this is horrible, but yet they themselves are doing this to the the tune of 35% of all of their entire you know, holdings and so forth. And so I started going really into moving, shut down my 401ks, IRAs, moved it all out and started putting my money into creating, you know, my own bank. And as I talked to you know, my dad, he's like, oh, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm like, again, dad, why did you never tell me about this? Um, and then he showed me a policy that I had that he got when I was a, 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 an infant. And he said, oh, it's probably you're old enough. It's time for you to take this over anyways. But uh, Chris, it was a policy that my dad was paying $50 a year on. Now the numbers are small, but the concept is powerful. And that's why I want to talk about that. And that policy every year for that $50 you know, deposit, as we say, in kind of the banking world or annual premium was growing the cash value inside uh, that policy by $350 a year. Now, I don't think you have to be a super amazing mathematician to figure out if you put in 50 and they immediately give you $350 back, you know, what kind of a return is that? Seven hundred percent, you know, guaranteed because it's in a contract with the insurance company. And I don't know any financial planner that's going to give you that kind of guarantee or those kind of re re returns or ever see those in their entire lifetime. And then he told me another story about uh, my great grandfather. This concept of having your own bank. Well, during the Great Depression, my great grandparents were farmers. And what they used to do every year is in the spring, they would go to the seed company and they would get the seed for their farm on credit. They would plant um, and then harvest in the fall and take some of the proceeds and pay back the seed company. And that's how it worked year after year after year. But something happened in the Great Depression where uh, the bank in their town and all the banks in their county, uh, in their small county, went completely bankrupt. Everybody's money was gone. There was no banks to 
loaned the seed company money and the seed company was uh, afraid to lend anybody credit because so many people were personally going bankrupt as well. So they couldn't get seed. But my great grandfather remembered that he had this cash inside this, you know, 200 at this point, 200 year old financial instrument called a whole life insurance contract. And he was able to call the company and borrow some of the money inside that cash, go buy the seed, plant his crop, uh, harvest the crop, sell the crop, and then pay back uh, his own policy as, you know, kind of his bank. And that's the only way that my great grandparents were able to keep the family farm uh, in the Great Depression. And so kind of an interesting history going all that way back. But I've become kind of a zealot about this ever, ever since. And even uh, myself, that's my favorite trip to take to the mailbox every single year is to go get my annual statement for my personal banks uh, for the whole uh, life insurance contracts and see the money that I put in there. If I put in 10,000, then I see that it's it's grown 17, you know, that same year. So, I mean, that's a 179% return dollar for dollar on what I'm putting in there and what I'm getting back. And there's no fluctuation. Every year the stock market has a hiccup or a bad, uh, bad cold. It still continues to perform that way, you know, every single time year after year. So that was probably more of my background even than than we counted on, but hope that helps. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Once you realize that um, the whole financial system is uh, based on salesmen making commissions and basically the products that they are recommending is basically, I knew something was wrong when they were saying invest in mutual funds and mutual funds are like dinosaurs. It's like high fees and just low growth and <laughs> Basically, they profit you and you take all the risk and, uh, you know, things like, you know, take out just basically take out debt to buy a car, you know, all this nonsense, you know, this really bad financial advice. So, uh, you know, once you become financially literate, you can do the things that you're doing. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues investing in real estate, you know, and, um, you know, uh, fired their financial advisor, you know, just so many, once you understand that. So really interesting. Um, uh, you know, talk about this idea, this economic value of certainty, which is quite interesting. I've been reading a lot of books on economics and kind of like this mm -hmm. idea where you're investing now for the future, but tell us more about this economic value of certainty. Well, yeah. I mean, it kind of turns, uh, like we talked about the traditional model that most of us have been taught, most of us learned. Uh, it sounds like uh, we we think a lot alike. You may have been, you know, participating in that model at one time, just as as I was, because you look around and everybody at work's doing it. Your parents are doing it. Your friends are doing it, and it just it feels safe, right? Even like the lemmings, uh, you know, walking off the cliff. If a whole bunch of other people do it, it still feels comfortable or safe somehow, in spite of all the warning signs. And so the economic value of certainty, right? You know, what's really interesting to me is. When, even when I would ask, I, I was really confused asking financial advisors like, well, you know, you're saying that this is going to happen in the future, but the stock market could disappear. I mean, I guess the nice thing about the stock market, if you've got all your money in a 401k, at least it can't go below zero, but it could go, you know, all the way to zero. And th that's one certainty is that there's a lot of volatility and, you know, everything that you are planning for, for retirement is 100% you know, at risk and even having your money in the bank when we've seen all of these collapses with Silvergate and, uh, you know, I was at four or five of the top 10 largest banks in the country have failed in the last five months. And the FDI, 
you'll see will only insure your money up to $250,000 if they could even actually, you know, do that because of fractional, you know, lending, you know, you put $100 in your bank and the federal government allows them to loan that out to nine other people, that same $100. So your money's not actually even there. That's why, you know, all the banks went bankrupt uh, during the Great Depression because there wasn't even that insurance. And I don't know, the federal government you know, it could print money fast enough to cover everybody if all those banks, you know, uh, failed today. So when they're uh, making these projections about what you need to have when you retire and so forth, I mean, it's all just, it's fairy tales. It's all just completely made up because you can't, I mean, it's a logical impossibility uh, to, to predict the future based off of uncertain numbers in the present. Yeah. I mean, it logically doesn't even make sense. It's it's not even possible. I, I think I'm surprised with the way so many industries are regulated around telling the truth and truth in advertising that they're allowed to present those kind of Monte Carlo, uh, you know, type of scenarios uh, to people. And even if you were like my parents, you know, you you have that goal. I'm going to save a a million dollars and then I'll be able to retire. Well, it used to be, uh, Chris, you probably have heard this before. That kind of rule of thumb about you know. Well, you only ever want to withdraw 4% of that money to live off of so that you don't run out of money in that retirement account. Um, well, a million dollars, that's only $40,000 a year. I don't know if that even puts you above the poverty line today, but now they revised that in the last year or so. And I've seen a number of articles in the Wall Street Journal and in Barron's are saying, oh, that number is way too high. If you don't, if you want to avoid running out of money because of inflation and so forth, you better not ever uh, take out more than about one 0.9%, I think, is the numbers I've been seeing most recently. So on a million dollars a year, they're telling you, you can only ever access 19,000 of that a year. Who's going to be able to live on $19,000 a year? You can't even buy a car for that, for goodness sakes. So it's just a completely you know, failed concept in the first place. Whereas what we're doing with the infinite banking concept, what's really nice is because everything is based on actuarial data. Actually, whole life insurance companies are far more stable than banks because of the uh, regulatory uh, scrutiny that the federal government puts on them compared to banks, where you know uh, insurance companies have to have you know significantly more reserves to cover all the potential uh, liabilities that they have out there compared to what banks are. So they're far far safer places uh, to 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 keep your money in the first place. And so what we're able to do for people when we meet with them is uh, if they really want to say, hey, I want to retire at 65. I'm 35 now. And, and I plan to live from 65 to 85. And I want to be able to have $100,000 a year to live off of tax-free this way as well. So your money grows tax-free the way we teach it. And you can withdraw it as loans, borrow it against the death benefit of the life insurance policy as loans, and then we can go back and backward engineer the number and tell them this is how much you have to put in today going forward so that you have that $100,000 to withdraw. And it's certain and it's guaranteed uh, in a contract with the life insurance. So it's not speculative like uh, you know putting your money in the stock market and stuff. So that's what we talk about. And so that can allow people to have a tremendous amount of uh, you know confidence in what they're doing and what the end result's going to be. And it makes them oftentimes work harder, like somebody that might be, you know, like afraid to put 10,000 a year away into their 401k, because they just don't know how it's going to turn out, or if it'll, if any of it will be there when they get to retire, where somebody in this model, because we can show them, and it's all built on the actuarial tables inside uh, the life insurance companies uh, plans, 
that they'll be more willing to to do whatever they have to do to put $30,000 into a plan because they know exactly what they're going to uh, have in the future by doing that. So they know that their effort will be rewarded and it won't be wasted and it won't just poof, you know, go up in smoke like all my uh, my parents, you know, friends when they went to retire. So, and that makes sense, right? You're much more committed to something if you know you're going to get there than if you start out on a journey and you're like, I don't know if we'll ever make it because um, we don't know the direction and we don't know when the next place is going to be that we can get water or something to eat. Uh, so their perseverance and their stick to and uh, their conviction to follow through are just much, much lo- lower when all the all those variables are there and there's all that certainty. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, when you talk to the actually the ultra wealthy, the centimillionaires, and what's interesting is that um, you know I, was ta- I had one guest and he was saying right when his kids were born, he bought life insurance because that's when it was cheapest. And you know the mm-hmm. you know nobody wants their kid to die, but you know death is you know one hundred percent certain, it's just inevitable. Uh, so you might as well protect yourself and you know get that payout but um and it's just interesting how the rich do things very differently you know what's the point of investing a million dollars if you can only withdraw 20,000 a year you know and then you just Yeah like, really right and then you'll die and you'll have never been able to enjoy that million dollars your entire life yeah. And it'll pass on to somebody else and the government will take half of it. The way we're teaching people, it really allows you to spend all the money you earn your entire life during your lifetime and leave it all behind at the same time to your kids and your heirs. So they speak nothing but good about you after you're gone. Yeah. And meanwhile, meanwhile, the brokers and the financial industry is basically using that to, you know, trade and invest and speculate and lend out and you know and here you are toiling and saving and you don't get to enjoy it so that's you know one key difference um which is i had a friend tell me one time the reason they're called brokers (laughs) is because they're broker than you are exactly so um yeah they're following their own advice a lot of times yeah so you know how how can people tell us more about this 401ks, because that was quite interesting. You had this idea, common misperception about retirement accounts. So I'm, I'm just curious what uh, what you have to say about that. Well, I think we covered some of them. And like I said, the amounts that they're going to save up. And But, but think about all that money you save, scrimp, uh, delay, deny gratification <laughs> for all these years. And you save up this big pile of money that you'll never be able to ever use or spend or enjoy your entire life. What we're talking about is setting up a system where you'll be able to use the money continuously over and over. We're just talking about, you know, recapturing, recycling, and reusing the same dollars all you know over and over and over and over again multiple times. Because when you put money into a 401k, they basically basically, if you're 30, they basically make you lock it away for 30 years. They put it in jail so you can't utilize it, you can't access it. And if you try to, they're going to penalize you for it. And on top of that, you're going to have to pay all the taxes on it. What we're talking about with uh, creating our own bank is you're in complete control. You can make loans to other people. You can make loans to yourself. You determine the rates, the interest rates, the payback terms, all that stuff. And uh, you don't have uh, you know those rules and regulations. And, and really, Chris, to, to me, a, a lot of it's about uh, getting as much of my dollars as I possibly can in a tax-free environment and getting the government the heck out of my hair. 
Yeah. And a lot of people, those 401ks don't realize that that money is not actually even their money. Uh, those are all FBO plans. And I know some of your listeners might be very savvy, but a lot of might not know what FBO stands for. It stands for for benefit of. So when you sign that, uh, you know, that 401k, it'll say for benefit of, you know, this 401k is a government program put together for benefit of Christopher Liu or for benefit of Rob Scranton. So what does that mean? Well, ultimately, it's really not even your money. And most people don't realize that. In fact, during the Obama administration, uh, that's just time-wise when that happened, there was a representative, the name escapes me now, but he was down on the on the floor of Congress and proposing, he got laughed out of the Congress. But the fact that it, somebody was even thinking that way is rather disturbing and scary to me in the first place. But he said, well, we have you know about this much money in national debt here, and we have about the same exact money in all these qualified plans that are run by the government through law laws that were passed by us here in Congress, these 401ks, these IRAs, you know, these Roth IRAs, all these stuff. Why don't we just take all the money um, in uh, all these qualified plans and just put it toward the national debt and pay it off for the greater good and just and start over from scratch? Yeah. And and they they literally could do that with a vote inside Congress. And most people that are in those plans don't have any idea that that's the case. And we're really lucky to still have uh, the option to create this infinite banking system. Um, I think it was for a while us and Australia, and now Australia's government uh, has gotten rid of that because uh, you know the governments don't like when they, they can't access people's money or take it or steal it or confiscate it or tax it. And But thankfully, there's enough of our politicians that have these banks set up themselves. I know Joe Biden's got to the tune of you know several millions of dollars in his own banking system uh, with these whole life insurance contracts himself. So I'm not as worried about uh, you know our country doing it. But the reason that there's so many of those provisions that make these uh, personal banks so effective and works so well is because they were you know designed and set up way before the internal revenue service or the u.s tax code was even built in the first place so they had no way to to ruin them if you will because yeah. <laughs> they, they predate those things yeah fascinating conversation how can people contact you follow you on social media check out your work etc yeah, probably the best place to, to get in touch with us is uh, at our website. Uh, it's yourfinancialiq.org. That's yourfinancialiq.org. And we've got a, a really good masterclass training on there that they can watch if they've uh, wanted to know more or learn more about uh, what we call the infinite banking system or go on to uh, Amazon and buy a book that we recommend uh, by uh, Nelson Nash and it's called Becoming Your Own Banker. But those would be the two places that I would say is, you know, to go on our website and watch that presentation. In fact, Chris, we'll even teach people how to buy all the cars they're going to buy, drive and own the rest of their life and get all the money back uh, as well as own the car. So if they're interested in watching that, I don't know how much of the money you've ever gotten back for all the cars you bought, driven, and owned in your life, but most people, it's not very much, but we'll show you exactly how you can get it all back uh, in that masterclass. Yeah, interesting. And for all the audience out there, let's thank uh, Robert for coming onto the show. You know, Once you get a good financial IQ literacy, it opens up so much possibilities and all his resources will be in the links and show notes. And with that, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast.
You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Chris. I hope you really enjoyed that wonderful, inspirational, motivational piece. Again, if you, wherever you are listening, if you liked it, be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. We're on everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.